You are now tuned in to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the Blog to Watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here with the Superlative Podcast. I am joined once again by our, as I was saying, our, our, our China correspondent, because he's in Shanghai and it couldn't be further away from me right now, uh, Mr. Daniel Soom. Hey, Daniel. Hey, Ariel. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, you're actually, I think, the only the only person who's so far been on the show twice. Um, so, I mean, I, I have intentions for other people to come back, but you made it back. The fr- Congratulations. Thank you. Is that another way of saying I'm important? No, it's another way of saying that the last <laughs> show was good enough to merit a repeat. I mean, look, you know, a good conversation doesn't need to be with someone who's per se important. They just have to be um, someone that has that brings on the table. So, yeah, you bring an important opinion. Uh, and I re- and I recognize you as being among the watch enthusiasts out in the world that that gets it. Because a lot of people don't get it. You know what I mean? When when there's a the person that we would call a collector and they just don't quite get why to buy the next watch. What would you what you give us some examples of that? What do you mean about like part of the collectors that don't know what to buy the next watch? Okay, I think so I guess- me and you have been me and you've been fortunate to actually meet in person. And, you know, there is that little kind of love, isn't there? When you see that glint in another watch collector's eye and you think, yeah, he gets it. Yeah. But see, there, but there are those people that I just they call them posers. They want to pretend like they're a watch collector. So that there are buddies or something. I didn't realize that this was a thing until a little while ago. But this is a thing. There's there's the fake enthusiast that just wants to be looked at as cool, wants to be accepted by someone like you, Daniel. And they know and they don't know why to buy a watch. So what they do is they ask you your opinion, in the hope that they buy something that impresses you. Yeah, true. I mean, there are a lot of people like that, and you know, I am well infiltrated into the watch community, especially here in Asia. Um, but you know, as long as people are buying these things for whatever, for whatever reason, I'm actually pretty cool because how you collect Ariel is going to be very different to how I collect. And, you know, I've actually had a recent talk with a a few other collectors about people that see watches as investments because, you know, it's such a controversial topic amongst the purists. Oh, you know, you're not a proper watch collector. I mean, what, it's not what, controversial who, who, are. They're not, they're mean, not hobbyists. If you spend money on your hobby, you're a hobbyist. If you do it to try to make money, it's not your hobby. But I don't know, because some people start off investing and then they go, oh, do you know what? I actually really like this. And I become a watch collector. It's it an happen, entry, sure. at least, into the, yeah. uh, to the watch world. Yeah, right? not, Obviously, not, that's fine. A fair differentiation there where you said enthus- uh, hobbyist and collector. Because collector is, I would say, even a broader term than hobbyist, right? Way broader, Be- absolutely. Because you can collect anything, you know, and it's just as long as you're accumulating and maybe moving some people, as long as you're accumulating something, you know, overall, you're not, you're not minus, you're going to be collecting, right? Brands are so funny. They get obsessed over this idea of how many watches you need to have before you're considered a collector. So that's the big problem. But of, co- of course, they're, they live in the world of databases. I get it. They want to put something in that field. Yeah, because they, 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 they want to spend more money on this silly market research that classifies a collector in boxes and says, oh yeah, after two, you're a watch collector. I mean, when they, the funny thing is when they categorize all of their buyers that like watches under the umbrella of collector, then we know that they don't get it. You know, there's so many managers at brands that they themselves don't have the watch bug. And don't get me wrong, this industry exists because there's enough managers that do have it. But when you talk to those managers that sort of want this mathematical answer to like what watch to promote or whatever, you and I just have to laugh because we're like, you know, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah, I mean, when, we, when I just mentioned about the glint in the eye, I think how often do you not see it in the people that are supposed to be managing these brands? Way too often. Right? And Way you wonder what, what exactly are, you know, why are you doing this? <laughs> like, do you love it? Like, do you actually enjoy it? Or are you just using it as a stepping stone to, to get to your next uh, career pathway. Well, look how, you know, I don't know about all the, all the companies marketing themselves, but Richemont is, is very uh, popular for trying to like recruit people, which they were losing a lot of people. So they, they stepped up their efforts. They like redesigned their website and things like that. And they promote working at Richemont. It's got nothing to do with any of the brands. They list them, of course, but they, you know, they have, you know, I don't know what all their pitches are, but it's like, come work at Richemont 
you'll travel around and do cool stuff. Like it, like so many people get funneled into that from all these industries that have nothing to do with watch appreciation. So you and well, I, it's luxury, that. isn't it? It's the, it's the luxury catch. You know, you, you go into this luxury watch world, which is almost at the pinnacle of luxury, especially for men. Yeah, and um, you get caught by the the trappings that you feel like, you know, this thing these things are actually real. You know, the luxury luxury and watch collecting aren't always the same thing. So here's here's how I used to identify it, and then we'll we'll use this as a segue into uh, the big part of this conversation, which is Watches and Wonders Shanghai, which was an actual in person show you got to go to. Very jealous. But when you're working with a brand and they hand you a watch. There's sort of two ways they can hand it to you. One is in this sort of like, let me put a bunch of white gloves on and and delicately <laughs> hand it over to you as though it's going to it's going to waft away in the wind on the way to you. And then there's the other person hands it to you like this is something you wear. Of course you can, you know, you're, you're not going to you're not going to be negligent with the way you handle it, but you it's you're not holding like a, ch- a tiny piece of treasure in your hand. Like the thing is meant to be worn on your wrist. Yeah, and you know, I think it, the the whole glove thing is about trying to make something look and sound probably really, really, really expensive. But more importantly, it's really, really worth it. You know. I mean, you're right. There's a psychology behind it. But again, someone like you and me, we're in it. We're in it for wearing it. We're not in it for holding it, examining it through a loop. You know, a little magnifier, and then saying, "Oh, thank you for that experience to just gaze upon this beauty." I'm a little bit more complete as a human now. Like we're in it yeah. for a little bit more than that. Yeah, for me, it is all about the watches, uh, and increasingly, you know, more about the people behind these watches. Uh, you know, I just love, I just love the industry in general, the people behind it. You know, I, I know I just uh, said some like bad <laughs> things about people that run brands, but there are people, some people that really do love what they do, and the 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 watch community overall. You know, I find a very enjoyable place to be in. I find I think I think I'm very fortunate to be in it. To be honest, there's kind of relationships I've built through watches. You know, I'm just not sure they would have come any other way. No, absolutely, and that's again for a whole other topic. But let's go back to watches and wonders, Shanghai. So we we actually get to it. Um, this was just a few days ago now, and it immediately followed watches watches and wonders Geneva, which was a digital only show that was basically a bunch of Zoom meetings, so it's hard to call it a show. But you had an in-person one, and let me ask you first, did you have more people giving you watches delicately, delicate, delicately, or as one watch enthusiast would to another? Okay, so actually, just before, you, when you mentioned it, I really wanted to tell you a story, but I'm going to tell you it now. Okay, let's hear it. So uh, on the first few days, it's a VIP section, right? And I wasn't actually there, but I heard this from someone else. But um, this guy went to a particular brand and he was uh, wanted to see a particular piece with another friend. So there was two, uh, well, there's three of them all together, but two actually went in to see this piece. Okay. And they were allowed to take the piece out, but they weren't allowed to touch the piece. So, so what they did was they put the piece onto a small mini cushion, right? And then (laughs) the collector had to hold the cushion in front of his eyes and turn it around because he actually wasn't allowed to touch the piece. Now, the two people in that room, like my friend was wearing the pavé-dialed rainbow Rolex. And my other friend was wearing one of those Richard Meals, which are like millions, yeah? Yeah. That watch wasn't worth that. Like it, I think it was like 100 and probably 100, 150K US, but it's not in that kind of bracket. And then, um, yeah, so, and then my third friend came into the room and said, what are you doing? And it was like, they looked up and said, they won't let me touch it. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's so actually it, comedy, like isn't it? Was this a COVID thing? Was this like a sanitary no, thing? No, 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 no. It's got nothing to do with COVID. Because, really? Yeah, because we were allowed to touch the other pieces. So it wasn't like a universal rule. Okay, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. That's just what comes to mind first. Well, I mean, look, we've we've all been in those situations and I'm I'm known for basically saying to them like I I'm you're going to either let me touch it or I'm just going to leave. Like I'm not playing this game with you. It's like they're it, you're right. It's like this weird psychology play. They're trying to like psych you into thinking like, "Oh, the holy grail's here. Be careful with it." 
Yeah, but does it work? Because anybody that takes one step back and looks at it with a bit of perspective thinks, what? Like, huh? Like, actually, you're confused. What are the gloves there for then? You know, I'll, if, you, if you're that worried, I'll put three pairs of gloves on. Okay, so yeah. let's, let's put it from this perspective. We're looking at it as, as potential buyers and you know, enthusiasts. The watchmakers themselves have spent so much time, especially on those watches in the show, because they tend to be like one-of-a-kind prototypes. Most of them are handmade, and a lot of them have a lot of parts in there. And also a lot of the very complicated ones that are prototypes, they don't really work yet. So a lot of the times they're so fragile, they're not even ready for market. And they have to minimize the amount of, I don't know, interaction the watches get or else they might break at the show. I think they're basically saying like, this is a super concept of a concept. It doesn't really work well yet. Uh, We'd rather you not touch it than have it break in front of your eyes. Well, for me, what's the point of even taking the watch out then? I'd rather you say, put it into the glass thing as as a display and say it's display only. Uh, you can't touch it. I mean, you know, you're, you right, can't, you're right. I mean, I what's the point? You, you, you're basically putting a, a sweet in somebody and then taking away. It leaves a sour taste in my in my mouth anyway. I agree, yeah. but I'm just saying it's one of the things about these events that I've always found interesting is there's an unbelievably um, inconsistent amount of incentives there. Like what the brands want to want, what the retailers want, what enthusiasts want, what media wants, are so opposed that like shows like that are the epitome of you can't please everyone. I don't even know who actually goes to shows like that and I, says, it checked off all my boxes. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more because one of the, the overall feelings I had of Watches and Wonders in Shanghai was a sense of inconsistency. So if I, well, I actually tried, as you know, the actual event in Shanghai was after all that online stuff on the website. And um, I tried to log on the website, but um, I think I'm right in saying if you weren't invited by a brand, you weren't even allowed to register, which to me, when you're launching new products, surely you'd want as much exposure as possible. So there's nothing to see on the website. Um, so yeah, I gave that fruitless endeavor, uh, you know, a miss. I, I didn't even realize that, to be honest. I didn't even think yeah, about that. Yeah, so, and this is somebody that is really into watches, i.e. me. Right, that you know is actually going to go the extra ten miles to see some watch content, especially the new releases. And you know, I just gave up because if it required me to go to a brand and ask, I'm not doing that. Right, it's just too much. And then um, registering for the actual uh, offline event in Shanghai was a little bit weird because um, so you had to again be invited by the brands. And um, they were always wanting people to come. So I, I already had loads of invites potentially to give out. Everybody was saying, like, oh, yeah, I'll give you 20, you know, 20 and all this kind of stuff. That's cool. Yeah. But then <laughs> you actually have to give your, your, your passport or your ID card, your full name, your sex, your telephone number, uh, your ID card Please. number, yeah, to then register for an SMS message that you receive from the brand. So you then send all that information over, you get an SMS, and then you have to click the link in the SMS to register and then pick the date. Now, I, I, I think I'm fair to say yeah, that as a watch lover, you know, for an event that is going on for five days, I believe it was, you'd want to perhaps go more than one day. But no, you know, one number, one day. So if you want to get another ticket to go the second day or another day, then uh, you have to find another brand. So I guess it makes sense because even if they're trying to limit capacity, what? Why would they not let you make maybe like two appointments or two slots? You know what I mean? Like, what? Yeah, like, because that's funny actually. Yeah, because like there's seminars on different days, so you could have gone on. You know, you might want to see that. I want to listen to that. I mean, well, no, you you can't. Or they make it awkward for you to do so. Thankfully, I have enough friends and. Um, I managed to get, you know, to go on two days, which were the Friday and the Saturday. That's so, nice. Snuck in. I like that. That's that's the that's you gotta do. That's what you gotta do. You have to find a way in. When the system presents itself with hurdles, as it always tends to do in this industry, you know, you have to find a way in. I mean, you and I in trade shows in our own respects have had to do this for years. I've had to go to booths and say, like, I would like a meeting. No, I don't know anybody here. 
but I want a meeting. And I have to be like, no, that person's right over there. Go ask them. Like I had to be this annoying American so often early on in my career just to get meetings at these places. Like getting in before they know you is such an unpleasant thing. If you don't have a lot of chutzpah, which I guess I had a lot of at the time, there's just there's no access because they, they're, they're not like, sir or, 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 or miss, you look like you'd like this stuff. Come on in and enjoy our hospitality like that has never happened. Yeah. And uh, to be honest, I wouldn't say the event was well advertised. So apart from the watch, I didn't think it was, you know, most people didn't even know it was on. So I think that I you mean, mean, like around okay. town. Well, I don't want to sound like I'm just bashing this event, right? Because as a as a watch lover, we'll you know, get into one stuff later. <laughs> one watch event in the whole year and be able to go, I was like, was so excited, you know, to, to actually, I felt really fortunate that it was coming to Shanghai. And overall, I'm happy that it actually happened. You know, I think there's loads of positives to take out, which, like you said, I'll get to. But I'm just trying to take take listeners through that journey of what it was actually like just to even register. Um, and you were, you, you were given an entry time, by the way, Ariel. So you either entered at like uh, nine to one or one to four or four to seven. So those were the times. And uh, I picked one to four on both days. And then you have to do, you know, scan and then enter in. That's pretty much mundane stuff. Then you enter the hall and it's just an amazing thing. You know, to, for those who haven't been to a watch trade show, watch exhibition, to see all these brands in one place and the hustle and the energy that's going along in, in this kind of, in this, uh, in this exhibition is Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah right. As soon as you enter the entrance and you look f- down, you see Rolex, right? And I will say, Rolex being there, just I just felt it automatically elevated the whole the whole event. You know, admittedly they got the best place, but <laughs> it was just such an amazing thing to see Rolex doing something like this. Um, and the energy, loads of people. So. We're talking queues outside the booths, queues for an hour to get in. Do right, people to see travel some pieces. from all around China or other parts of Asia for this, or is this just locally? Like, I'm just trying to understand, like how how wide of a net um, the the show cast in terms of guests. Yeah, I know people that flew in. I know people that came from Macau. You know, so people did travel to come okay. to this okay. event. So it's a destination um, for a lot of people. Yeah, it was a it was a good. I think people mentioned it with Basel, right? Once in a year, everybody gets together and they can mingle and they can see each other a bit like Christmas. And uh, it's a bit like that. I saw some friends I hadn't seen for a while. You know, I see some of the people that manage the brands. Everybody's just there. And obviously the media, they're there. Um, So to have that, it was really, really good. I would say... Generally, the venue was a bit cramped, but that just kind of added to the atmosphere because there was just so many people, right? Was there a better venue in town that you can think of for this? Uh, it never really crossed my mind. In terms of uh, all the other facilities, such as parking, I thought it was very convenient to do so. It was right opposite the venue and plenty of space. Okay. Um, when I went in there, I, it was a two-floor event. So there was like ground floor and then there was like the first floor. I think they could have used the sec- uh, the first floor or the second floor um, better, utilize the space better. But my understanding is it didn't fall into their price packaging because the independents were up there <laughs> and then all the big brands were down at the bottom. So it'd be pretty hard sell to put one of those Wait, brands up there. Was this the same place as it was last year? Or is this no, it was place? actually opposite. Oh, okay. It's actually at a bigger venue opposite the place that was... Uh, last year, because there were more brands this year, as, as I'm sure you're well uh, well yeah, aware yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. So I went in, and then you see these queues. So I did a lap around the whole venue just to soak it in and just Man, to it must see have everything. Felt so good to be there. I haven't been to one of these in like multiple years now. Yeah, I'm trying to rub it in. <laughs> it's working. And um, then the next thing is okay. You kind of like see everything. Which one am I going to go to first? Right? Which booth am I going to try my luck at and see what, what do I really want to see? So, well, did um, you have like meetings and stuff, or how did it work? Was it just you just went there and just walked around? You just walked around, and I think that was mainly maybe something that I think could definitely improve because there were so many people that are trying to get in there. The staff were completely overwhelmed, like you know, from the brands, 
so when you got into the uh, booth or stand, I don't know what you call it, uh, the experience wasn't quite right. Well, it, it wasn't right. There's just no way of putting it. You know, you feel very, well, first of all, when I talk about the inconsistency, not all brands were letting you uh, take the pieces out. So Rolex, yeah. for example, you could wait in the queue for that long and then go in, look at the pieces in the display cabinet, ask whether you could buy them, and they say no. You talk to the retailer, ask, can I look at them? No, you can't. And then really, realistically, you and me know the new models, no one's really getting them because they're so hard to get. Right? I so mean, that's literally the, that's the Rolex experience around the world. So it's all not, you're no doing is there. looking. No different there. All you're just looking through a glass, yellow, it's not even conducive to good photography. Right? No, it's uh, yeah. I, I mean, but again, I that goes with the territory, these types of shows. And you know, I think I think the pandemic has definitely had some element of let's not handle the watches. Like a lot of people probably were really happy that there was less pressure to do that. Because again, it's inconvenient for the brands, even though it's what the hell we're there for. But I think with um, the sort of quote unquote safety concerns, that was like the ultimate excuse they needed to just completely take that part out of it as much as possible. Well, I don't think it was. I mean, like I said, other brands were taking them out. The problem is, once you've been to a few brands and they said no, it takes a lot of courage as a consumer to go to another brand and say, the third time, can I have a look at the watch? But you're Do you know what I mean? You've been rich. Yeah, exactly. Well, you see, I'm, I don't want to use my <laughs> perspective on everything. You know, I, I didn't queue and I could ask, right? So I did get to see uh, the pieces in the flesh. But for the majority of the people going, they didn't. Well, because um, we're not polite. Yeah. That's our problem. We have this genetic flaw or something like that. And it gets well, us ahead in some places, but we can't stand in line and wait our turn. People have told me I've got a great smile. <laughs> there you go. That means you have charisma. Yeah. That means people actually like, yes, sir, you can cut in line by all means. But I mean, yeah. going back to the pieces as well, there's another thing, Ariel. Like, not all pieces <laughs> were available. Like, the novelties. So, like, like last year, a lot of brands didn't invite their VIPs down because they don't want their VIP going to another brand, potentially getting, well, purchasing something else or going into someone else's database. Oh, so it's sort of like the equivalent of they could leave with another woman type of deal? Like you came with yeah, me, but you end up yeah. leaving with her? Oh, exactly. that, yeah, that, could, that could be painful if you were a brand. Yeah, it's super painful, right? Yeah. And then, um, so a lot of them had offline events well far far away from the actual Watches and Wonders event where they had their VIPs go. And a lot of the novelties were over there. <laughs> right? Like how so far they're not, are we talking? We're talking like No, not, they're like, far enough. They're far enough. Far it, enough no, for you, you to not be... You can't walk and be like... Yeah, yeah you I'll can't walk it. You can't walk it, yeah. You oh, definitely geez. can't walk That's it. Funny. Like you and I know this is part of their strategy, but a lot of people don't put these pieces together where they recognize these simple little elements of human psychology, like a collector ultimately just wants to buy a cool watch at a nice price, that, you know, there's all these strange little things that go into all this. That's why from the outside, these things can look totally weird to people. Like I, I you know, you and I, we, we had to have our own crash course in this. We picked it up because I don't know, we're observant, but so many people are in this industry for like two decades and they still don't understand this basic stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel sorry for the people. You know, I spoke to the people in the brand. I said, are the novelties in? And they say, nah, they're not. Then they're over there or whatever. They're over in the other venue. So I was like, okay, I'm not bothering in that. Most people didn't know and they queued for an hour and then found out when they got in. Yeah. Right? How much does that suck? Well, what sucks is these brands make so few prototypes. Like, this is where they cheap out like they never should. Yeah. And I'm, 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 I've been on this mission for a long time. And these brands, please make more prototypes. I understand it costs a few thousand dollars, but. You are, you are a global you know, industry. You need to have watches all over the world and more than one watch at a trade show. When you literally have one example and it has to go be in the VIP hotel miles down the road, there's like thousands of other people that want to see it. Why not make, I don't know, two or three or maybe 15 prototypes? You know, like, is that, is that, is that going to ruin you guys? Yeah, right, I'm, I, I'm going I'm to relax now about that. Make hashtag make more prototypes or samples, yeah, whatever you want to call them. I, I, this is my this is my advice. Okay, so I don't know how with it will work, but I think it might to improve the experience. Is maybe people need to go to the stand, sign up for a, like uh, a time slot. 
right? <laughs> and then one salesperson, you turn up at that time slot because you're committed to it. And then one salesperson from the brand takes like 10 people around and gives you the proper brand experience. Because as soon as you're, I mean, the way it was is you got in and it was like, the sales was running between customers like this one, that one, this one, that one, this one. And probably, I mean, this probably sounds like heaven to a lot of brands. But, you know, to from the consumer experience, it's like you're just waiting. You're, you know, you're waiting inside you, you the booth. You want to sign up for the watch petting zoo is what you're saying. Yeah, you don't have time to see the piece. I don't know. There are people that buy pieces where they see it. I just want to impulse buy and I just do it. But I think most of us would actually look at the product want to spend some time with it, not feel rushed, you know, maybe come back to it, have a good feel with it, take, a, take, take some uh, good photos so you can brainwash yourself later. Um, but you were felt so much like you were taking other people's time. I mean, and this is so it was like, I've seen it, take the photo, I've done it kind of thing. I've experienced this years ago and I'm actually being brought back to some, you know, early memories of SIHH and, uh, you know, Basel world, but actually a lot of SIHH where this was before I was as well known as I was. And brands used to try to do this to me, like rather than have a proper meeting in a private room with actual product, they'd have some, you know, third party PR firm employee that, you know, read a paper document about the watches two days before. And she's parading me around a set of display cases pointing at stuff. And I remember like anytime someone tried to do this, I'm like, I literally, it was like a diva. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm not going to have this meeting. Like if we're going to have a meeting, I'm going to sit and look at the watches and shoot them. That's what I'm here for. I didn't fly, you know, from Los Angeles to Geneva so that someone can parade me around some vitrines. Like this is, you know, you're, you're not going to waste my time like this. Um, and I had, I had to be the guy to say stuff like that, but it was, you know, that was not the default. So the default back then was exactly the same. I mean, you were probably treated better now than I was back then. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not saying I had to like pioneer all this stuff, but I really had to show these people that when it comes to modern media, you, you have to give everyone a good experience. Because here's the thing, Daniel, you have to understand, a lot of the media before us, they were like a paid salary person from like, I don't know, like some you know um, lifestyle magazine or a newspaper. And they were they were doing editorial because the watch brand was buying advertising. Now, this person was just happy to be there and have some champagne, didn't care about the watches, didn't know about them. In mm. fact, if you remember a lot of that fashion editorial, it's like a couple of pictures, which are just the press pictures, mm. a name of a watch and a price. There was like no editorial. So yeah. this person who had an editor's hat on actually didn't care. In fact, we surprised brands by coming in and actually wanted to have that much access. So like, oh, really? You want to see all that stuff? I, I guess, okay. So I'm just trying to give you like, some historical perspective to understand how we got to this point. Yeah, I think it's also fair to say, like, you know, me and you, we do have our criticisms of certain things, but at the end of the day, we're just looking to improve it, right? And, I, I, and I'm saying these things, and I'm saying, you know, maybe have some time slots, have the people, because people will then get the full brand experience rather than having a not-so-great experience there. And I just think that would help the sales as well, help the, the staff as well, right? 90% or more of the employees of these brands make the exact same amount of money if they sell no watches or a bunch of watches. The problem is we are thinking like entrepreneurs. What we want is noble, and that is for them to do more sales, which means more people like their watches and all, all kinds of positive stuff. But the amount of people in the company that actually care about that are, are very rarely who we actually end up having FaceTime with. And so those people just care about, I don't know, hanging out or their jobs or whatever. We are thinking about overall brand positivity. And these people are like, oh, do I like my interaction with you? Were you nice to me today? Did I have to work hard? Was this a hard meeting? Like, that's what they say. Like, oh, that, it was a hard meeting. It's like, I mean, for us, we're like, of course, this is hard. This is supposed to be intellectually stimulating. But we are rare weirdos. We're the people that like this stuff, not the people that make and market and sell it. That's true. And I think we also come from, uh, you know, I always have to remember that I don't represent obviously everybody. Uh, one, the experience when it, it's, I can't really remember, actually, no, I do remember, but most of the time, the sales or the people, the staff of the brand, I feel they don't know enough about the new products when I'm asking questions about it. And is that because, oh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a seasoned watch collector? Or is that because they haven't been trained properly? 
uh, you just see it in that that fear in their eyes because you've asked them this question and they're like they look up slightly. There's a little flicker as they look up, and then you you know I, I don't want to be an ass about it, so I just say oh okay you know I just try and because I don't want to make them feel bad or anything. Um, yes, you I feel, do. No, not really. You know, at the end of the day, it's not their fault, is it? <laughs> I just, you just, you know, I'm just thankful also to see the pieces. Um, but we want, they don't we want know, they the people at the brand to take these products as seriously as we do. I mean, our yeah. fantasy of this sort of watch world is that the people that make this stuff care as much as us. Like that would be so nice and validating. And so we do, we are naturally attracted to those brands that tend to be more heavily employed by real enthusiasts. And that's, you know, that's those brands do exist. But it's true that that is that is uncommon. And so when, when, like Daniel said, when you find it, those are those people end up being great friends for the long run. When you don't, um, then you look around the trade show thinking to yourself, who can I talk to? This is really weird and boring. Well, I found that with the independents. And, you know, I will give a shout out to Moza because I thought their service was exemplary. Okay. Like, I took a few people over uh, to their little uh, booth area. And H. Moser and C, for those that yeah, don't H. know Moser what and C. Moser is. is. Uh, from the Malin brothers, they from from the person that was in charge to just the lady that was involved in bringing you in and just keep you occupied until somebody more senior could see you. It was great, you know. That you had that whole service there, and I mentioned that lady because out of the whole fair, that lady who was just hiring a tray and, and you know probably maybe didn't know that much about watches. She exemplary what what good service was, you know. Um, what did she do that was so right? Like, got to talk about. Well, this. these these trade events. Forget forget me and you that are walking because I'm sure when we when we after that day you're knackered, absolutely knackered, right? From a visual standpoint, from a physical standpoint, mentally you're just knackered. Yeah. But you, but the people at the brands they probably are even more knackered. Oh yeah. Right? And I could tell she was tired. But she looked present with you. You know, when you were talking to her, when she was asked, she, her mind, her eye, she was present with you. She wasn't away with the fairies uh, or like trying to BS you. It, it was just very, very good, soft selling. And, okay, um, wait, wait, wait. super yeah. important question. I totally forgot to ask this. And this is, you know, again, these days you have to think about these things. Were the actual European brand managers there? Like, are you allowed to, to travel to China from Europe? Like, or was this... A lot of local representatives. Uh, a mixture because some of those um, European brand managers never left China. Okay, so they're the ones that live there. But aren't they the locals that that, that, that manage the regions? Uh, well, some of the brands still have expats that manage the brands. But yeah, and in general, let's say for the independents, it was all local. It was all local. Yeah. Okay, okay. So there's very few of the sort of... Because I would have been really pissed off if the Europeans got to travel there and I didn't. I mean, that would be unfair. Well, yeah, you already caused another stink. Yeah, right? Have you visited the gift store for watch lovers? It's called the Blog to Watch store, and we carry art, apparel, and accessories for today's timepiece enthusiasts. Buy your wristwatches elsewhere and celebrate the watch collecting hobby with high-quality original products at the Blog to Watch store. Right now, the Blog to Watch store features a line of t-shirts inspired by iconic timepieces and designed by the collecting experts at the Blog to Watch. Made from 100% premium cotton, our soft fitted t-shirts are stylish, fun, and models like our iconic diver dial even have a glow in the dark face. The Blog to Watch store carries bespoke yet affordable products, which the Blog to Watch editorial team wanted for themselves as the first customers. Visit the website to see what is available right now, and we ship internationally with new products coming all the time. Check it out by logging on to store.ablogtowatch.com. That's store.ablogtowatch.com. Okay, so let's talk about the actual products themselves. Um, yeah. I know that there was a few additional things added. So a blog to watch covered very heavily watches and wonders and and we basically got to all the important stuff that came out and there was a there was a healthy amount of stuff this was i mean this was a conservative <laughs> year in terms of um what people made a lot of i'll call them reformulations of existing I'm just really things. upset Ariel that nobody did anything in green this year You're right the lonely color green uh, I wanted so to popular. see green this year 
and nobody decided to do it. It's true. Um, you know, I, I think it'll have its moment, though. You know, Green's really, it's going to come back, I promise you. Yeah, hopefully they I, manage to find every different shade of green under the sun. So the joke <laughs> is that pretty much everything was green. See, brands, <laughs> they literally trip over each other's feet trying to stand in the exact same room while all claiming to be innovative and independent. Um, I, I think they all go to the same bar in Geneva. I think someone at Patek said, oh, you know what? We're going to discontinue the Nautilus. Wink, wink, it might be green. And then it okay, just, where the mouth carries move, through. <laughs> that was some scandalous stuff right there. If that was like Tesla, they'd be fined by the SEC. <laughs> okay, let's, okay, so Patek Philippe, which was at Watches and Wonders, earlier, like two, three months ago, announced that they were going to stop production of a certain type of watch model. Then they released another model of the watch they said they were going to stop producing. Of course, the exclusivity goes up because people are thinking that's going to stop being made. And then they clarify, oh, well, this is going to be the last year, as though they didn't know that two months ago. You know what I mean? They didn't know that a watch was going to come out. They literally made a statement that had a, an economic effect on the market, and then they changed their statement significantly just a two months later, I don't know. I, I, am I the only one that thinks that's completely not okay? I think, I think uh, you're the one that actually has noticed it because most people have seen the green and become envious. Green with is envy, that what green so does? Is it, is it a hypnotic green? It's a hypnotic green. It's a hypnotic green, which makes you think, like, I really, really want it. <laughs> right? it you know what it is? It's an, hey, hey, by the way, everything actually is okay green. That's what it is. It's no, no, don't look over there. Look at me. I'm green. And I'm telling you that everything is okay. Now, I think it was a year where literally a lot of watch enthusiasts think, must have thought, uh, it, it, it's the same watch, right? But you just changed the green, right? Yeah, is that, I, I am getting that right, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? No, no, we, we invented green. <laughs> yeah, it's like you, you come out with this innovative thing and it, you've just changed the dial green. <laughs> no, no, corroborate me here. They do use the word innovative a lot, right? Yeah, it, it's the most overused word uh, uh, aside from in-house. Oh, man. <laughs> or, or my favorite one, manufacture. <laughs> what is, that's, like, that's like the watch equivalent of the word natural, um, <laughs> which the opposite is what? Supernatural? So they're literally like, this thing was manufactured. Well, well duh. Yes, it was. I uh, thank you for letting, you know, like, I'm glad you didn't pick this off the ground and attach it to your watch. But um, everything sounds better in French, though. With an extra E or an accent yeah. at the end. If you say it in French, yeah, you can did you know you can officially add an extra zero to the price tag? Um <laughs> so if you're Swiss, is that two extra zeros? <laughs> perhaps, yeah, perhaps. You pay a, 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 little, a little bit extra more extra for uh neutrality. Do you think that, that we did they like that we laugh about European pricing strategy? Well, I think what it is, is Ariel, is that me and you, like going back to it, we just there for the watches. Right, all the marketing, all the luxury stuff. We always laugh at it, right? Because it's once you've seen it enough times, you see through it. It's a right? game. It's just a yeah, game. it's a game. Uh, it is interesting to see, but it's it's just where where I am um, with my watch journey. I just find it hilarious. I just find it hilarious. You know. You know. You know what it's done for me? It's actually made me go back and appreciate the kind of little uh, startup brand, you know, use the word independence and there's some independence that are like, you know, 20, 30 years old now or longer. Um, for me, it's less about that. It's more about these sort of startup little brands. They're st still sort of fresh and immature and a little bleary eyed and aren't as sort of like um, jaded as some of these old timers. I mean, these are people that are coming in actually trying to be innovative. They don't, they don't know all these things to watch out for. They don't understand all the complexity of marketing and sale, selling. They just have a cool product, and there's still so many of them. Um, I think it's really a shame that, that quote-unquote, collectors are so worried about residual value um, are, are on that because there's so many cool watches uh, coming out right now. And I think that's a real thing. You agree, disagree? Yeah, I think the residual value thing is um, it's brand done, though, isn't it? You know, they, they control that price by Maybe increasing the manufacture, or, or, or you know, or lowering the manufacture numbers. They've made it like an investment. That whole investment side, you have to have an opportunity to do it. That opportunity was given by the brands, right? And I, I just completely know they know what they're doing. 
and they know that uh, we're in this, we live in this hype beast culture where sneakers, certain pieces of clothing, you know, if you get it at retail, you're suddenly the coolest guy. And if you couldn't get it at retail and you paid the premium, wow, you must be so rich to do so. But anyway, I've got the piece and you don't have the piece. That's the culture we live in now in, in, in the watch world. It's, and it's that's what's infiltrating. It, it, is, it, is, it is a big d- dominant part of, I'll call it youth, youth consumer culture in a lot of parts of the world at the same time. It, it's, it's fueled by a lot of things. I don't think that it's, it's going to be that permanent because it doesn't really end up helping the consumer. People don't end up getting better stuff. People don't end up getting richer off that stuff. Not really. Um, no one is really missing out on anything actually important. It's just sort of like a, it, it's it's just sort of like a, again a young consumer's game where we see these things. So yes, it's important to some stuff, but I don't think there's actually any disruption in the overall economy for stuff. People still want to get good established things that have a track record behind it that other people have purchased before them and and vetted and things like that. Like I think that's still the cornerstone of commerce, whether it's online or not. Mm, yeah, fair point. Fair point. So um, brands, as we've noticed, are obsessed with trends. If there's something that is happening in the fashion market, in the youth market, in the consumer market, in pop culture, they will jump on it like some type of hungry animal on some type of delicacy that they love. Okay, doesn't matter how expensive their watch is, they will they will jump on a fad like like an excitable teenage girl. Like there's no tomorrow. Like that is the, that's the funniest thing about these brands I've ever seen. They always sit there and tout this like 250 year old technology. But the second that the market says that like the cool kids like the color green or something like that, they will all jump on it without even thinking, saying they want it, they want it, they want it. And then show off their new dress in the room until they all realize they look silly. And then next season they're onto something else. Yeah. Talking about trends though, you have to like the most successful watch brand Rolex, you know, they just make the same stuff year after year pretty much right and i know oh you know they increased the locks you know yeah okay yeah it's the same watch by the way pretty much well and then they might do something with the dial and so this year you know i managed to see uh the palm leaf i saw the meteorite uh daytona uh but they look the nice. new explorer oh that new explorer 36 millimeters yeah. i think is going to be hot well i think all of it's going to be hot uh because that palm leaf oyster perpetual you know, it's so visible from a distance that if you have one of those, you're rocking the latest Rolex piece. It's so obvious you are. So I think yeah. that's going to be hot. Meteorite Daytona, exactly hot for exactly the same reason. Plus, by the way, it's a Daytona. So again, people are going to go all mushy for that. Yeah, but it's not um, the first Meteorite Daytona. That's a funny thing. Like, not by not by long shot. Yeah, but still, people are going to... It's cool. No, th- yeah. it's all very nicely done. But Rolex Personally, it's not for me. Doing- Personally, it's not for me. Personally, I think that I think the meteorite dial isn't isn't that nice on the eyes. It, it just makes it look very uh, not. It doesn't it doesn't help legibility. No, no, that's just a show. We yeah. look no, literally, the Daytona is like their least legible piece. You ne- you definitely know if somebody buys a Daytona, they are the least interested in timepieces. Like like you couldn't be less interested in watches than buying a Daytona from Rolex. I really I really believe that. Like it's a good watch, but like people buy those. And they have since the '90s for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, that's probably why I don't own one. <laughs> it's 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 out of all. I mean, again, and, and it, it's a perfectly competent timepiece from a lot of perspectives. But we know that out there, the vast majority of people who own and wear their Daytonas wear them for the wrong reasons. They're sending some type of snobby statement. Yep. It's their "I made it" watch. Yep. Uh, it's the "Look at me, I'm." You know, the funniest thing is there's they'll be like. Women that wear the solid gold ones. It's a very popular thing for women to wear solid gold Daytona. It's a very fashionable thing to do. I have no idea how that watch, how this men's racing watch that you know is popular in steel on a full gold bracelet has become like the it, I don't know, jewelry watch for women. It's just the strangest thing. But like Rolex, other, other stuff. How is the Explorer 2? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not a big Explorer 2 fan. I'm more a fan of the Explorer 1. Um but if you are an Explorer 2 fan, I think you'll love the piece. But like I said, it's not that much. I don't think that was like you saying, if you love terrible watches, I don't love terrible watches, but well, if you love terrible watches, this is a terrible watch. It's, yeah, it's just, I what just are you saying don't, it doesn't really dig it for me. I've got to say, right, 
I'll put it out there. You know, I'm a watch guy, watch collector. So I didn't go to everything like I would watch media. I saw some booths. I saw some queues. I'm like, I'm not going to go there, right? Even on the second day. And then I saw some brands that really I have no interest in to go to. I don't really interested in their pieces. So I did pick who I went to. Obviously, Rolex, although I'm not going to buy, you're always going to look at them, right? So I went to see that and I was particularly interested in the 36mm Explorer 1. So that that was pretty much my experience at the first. So who did you basically. skip over? Who at the show you were like, I'm here for only a limited amount of time, don't care about you, I'm just gonna walk by? I didn't go to Ulysses Nardin. Okay. I didn't, I didn't go to Roger Debuy. Okay. Um I didn't go to Panerai. Okay. Is this because you're not a fan? They were too crowded? It was just not uh, worth Panerai. The time? Um they set their booth up with a bar in the middle right and like then a yeah like a drinking bar it looked like okay. a drinking bar and i could see it there was queues outside panerai um but i've never been a panerai fan either so it just, it just never occurred to me to go in there okay yeah. that's fair look i mean that's fair. like me i have to like go in everything and i have to stare at everything um who who did a really good booth because that's always something that you know jlc people, jlc what was so great about it well for JLC fans, they, fans, they know that it's the 90th anniversary of the Reverso. Right. So this was, again, one of the inconsistencies. Did they have horses in there? No, they didn't have the horses there. But oh, that's too bad. <laughs> the inconsistency is that every brand there is there for a different reason. So Rolex, yeah, although from a consumer you go there, the experience was exactly how it's described. They're doing their B2B meets behind. For the, you know, their booth was quite big, so... Where behind yeah, closed they've doors. They've got a bunch of retailers. They yeah. got to train people on the new stuff. They have some yeah. couple of VIPs. Like the, the random person going there that Rolex has nothing, doesn't want anything to do with you. Yeah, exactly. So you've got them um, doing that way. You've got other brands doing really treating it as B2B. And then you've got other people that are treating it like a B2C. But me and you know that because we're in the industry. But most people, they'll look and think, oh, there's something not right here. Why is that booth set up like that? Why is that booth set up like that? But JLC was set up for the consumer. So it was a communications PR uh, motive behind it. Okay, okay, that's good. So I got to see behind the glass that insane like quadruple reverso. Yeah, the four dial gyro turbion thing. Was it nice? It's amazing. Oh, it's so nice. And I actually think, think for that amount of money, it's not bad. <laughs> you, was it like getting, 350 or something like that? It's uh, 1.3 million RMB. Okay. No, no, sorry, 13 million RMB. So about 1.3 million uh, euros or something like that. Oh, okay. So or it's Swiss, Swiss francs, dollars. maybe. Yeah. So I was like, whoa. And it's 10 pieces of them. Um, and it's got an enamel dial. It's got the tourbillon. It's got a minute repeater. It's got a uh, like open, wet, skeletonized face. Uh it's cool looking. Deep, it's really cool yeah, looking. and do you know what? It, it doesn't even look... Okay, it's thick. But to fit so much into that watch where I still think the watch in some part is still wearable, I think that's really cool. Okay, here's yeah. what I wanted for the 90th anniversary of the Reverso. Why can't they bring back a bracelet for the Reverso, kind of like a new version of the Squadra, to go with the whole integrated bracelet thing? Like, Don't you think that JLC could like really own that that, that category in an interesting way? Hmm. Yeah, but you know that would be, that would involve taking risks. <laughs> uh, oh no! Banish the thought. Yes, it would. You're right. There is a risk involved in doing something different than what you. So naive, Ariel. So naive. Oh, here I am. I just I know I drop my guard for three minutes and I forget <laughs> that I can't ever suggest that a brand might actually take a risk. But All they right. had the enamel dial. Uh, sorry, not the enamel dial. You know, they had the enamel kind of um, painting. Um, reversos with a Gillishade uh, sunburst dial. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Yeah. Did they do it? It kind of green? looks like in diamond cut. The, the dial actually looks like diamonds. But yeah, they did one in green. And oh, I think there's one in blue. Thank God. Thank God that green is on the palette again. <laughs> but I always think, for, for me, I own a reverso. I think that sunburst isn't always the best color for. The reverso because it's such a discreet, low key. It doesn't really need to shout. Um, and with that 
special effect on the dial and the new piece. I think it really, really is too much. It, I don't think it's actually comfortable. Forget the legibility side. I, just, I don't think it's nice to look at. But that, that's reverso, my personal opinion. I don't think the Reverso is made for people that liked Reversos 10 years ago. Like The Reverso will have its time again, but they made watch enthusiast Reversos, and now they don't. They just make Reversos. Yeah, true. Uh, one, one, one great thing was, though, they actually had a vintage pieces there that you could look at that you probably wouldn't be able to see anywhere else. That's cool. Yeah, that was really cool. Uh, I really appreciated that. So you could see how actually the case size and shape has slightly changed to, to what it is today. Um, but, you know, it used to be really little. Like it was a yeah. little watch. Like, yeah, it's and a then tiny little guy. You see the, those vintage aged colors? Super, super nice. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that 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 was a great experience, and they also had this uh, other piece, which was I think pink gold with a jumping hour, uh, with uh, retrograde I've, I've minutes. Seen those. Yeah, yeah. I've seen the old one, right? Yeah, no, that was a new piece, new new oh. release for this year. But well, they, um, they've, had, they've had vintage jumping hour versos. Yeah, I'm just saying what they released this like when I saw it. What 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 they said was novelty this year. So I'm just it's introducing not, it's a become, piece. JLC has become very like fashiony. I know they have these once in a while. These exotic, you know, gyro turbines are great, but it's it's a brand that just isn't trying to sell to watch enthusiasts right now. Like they could go back there easily enough, but we we I think we all admit not exactly their top priority at this moment. Yeah, I would say so. Um, but yeah, it was good to see. I love JLC anyway. Yeah, I think as a, as a I, watch, I love it too. Who, who doesn't love JLC as a watch guy, right? Movement maker, a lot of their movements were used in more, even more prestigious brands. Everybody wants them to do well, right? Yeah, and and what's also amazing is they still make the the cases for the Reverso watches. A lot of brands don't make their cases; they just make their movements. Even the ones that do make their movements. So it's really cool that JLC, as a as a um, as a factory, does so much more. So it, it is it is a great brand, but like it's. It has the wrong leadership for fans like us. Let's put it that way. Mm, yeah, maybe the product line isn't at this current state uh, appealing to watch enthusiasts, as as you put. So it. let me ask you this: what is what is the Shanghai market going to be like in the next oh, this year? Is interesting. In your yeah, opinion, this, this is interesting because I spoke to one of the GMs. I won't say which brand. They said something very interesting that I hadn't thought about which was COVID has actually shown them that the Chinese market is a lot maturer than they thought. Because prior to this, Chinese were flying everywhere and diluting and their KPIs for China because you know, people were buying in America, Europe, Australia, everywhere. Yeah. Very and hard those, for them to understand yeah. you know, what the size of the Chinese market is because so many of them, yes. by habit and routine, bought elsewhere, especially since it was cheaper, and everyone was afraid if the Chinese market was just buying within China, what would that actually look like? So that's the context. Yeah. And they now appreciate that it's actually far more advanced than they thought. So in my mind, I was like, well, what does that mean? Like far more advanced? You know, what if it's, what if it's just different? What a weird know? compliment. You guys are much further along than we anticipated. Congratulations. Yeah, so that makes me think <laughs> what you're trying to say is that some of the tastes are similar to the Western tastes that are more in more mature markets. That's what I assume that person meant. Because it, you know, I was like, well, can't Chinese people have their own direction? No, own no, tastes? I, I interpret yeah. that a little bit differently. It, it could mean that. It probably does mean that to a degree. But I think what it means is there was very low confidence in how well the boutiques within China would perform, especially since the, the taxes mean that the cost is so much higher. A lot of Europeans were genuinely worried that even though there's a, a high demand for wristwatches in China, they wouldn't sell very well within China. That was sort of the concern. Yeah, uh, and, and, and you know, because the tax is significant, I think it's a very valid uh, concern, but you still have to be in China for them to want to buy outside China, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. You, you can't, that's actually, the, it's actually the most effective thing when, a, a person has seen your signage, your brand, your, you know, your name on a store and is traveling and then sees the name in some exotic city they don't go to very often. And maybe they even want to buy it there because they've been hearing about it. They're like, at least the people back home will know it, that, that, what this is. And that's a big yes. deal to a lot of watch people. Yeah, because it, what, why else would I be buying it then? You know, for, I would say, the mainstream consumer in China where people wear watches, you know, most of the time for status, 
Um, if it doesn't work, so to speak, in China, wh why am I buying it? And that's why Omega has done really well because for a long time, Omega had a lot of imagery demonstrating that, you know, the Omega is the hip watch to wear so that when you went abroad and you brought back an Omega, people are like, oh, you have the Omega, you know, you're doing well for yourself. And that's, it's just a simple psychology. Yeah. But in terms of like where the market is going, right, we're looking at brands that have probably entered China. I think Vacheron entered 2007, Patek 2011. So 10, 10, almost 15 years of these watches coming in. Right. What initially would have been a complete luxury product where a status thing, now as the uh, consumers mature, they'll be looking to be uh, acquire more knowledge about what exactly they're buying, right? How to maybe even critique a watch in what I, you know, what I would like to purchase. So I think that's quite certainly the conversations I've had recently in Shanghai. Yeah, really, really advanced. I would say. Well, I, it sounds like I'm, I'm some kind of expert, but I'm not. But but I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Look for ch for the Chinese market to function a lot like the ma other mature markets, Europe. Japan, United States, you know, UK, Canada is a positive thing. That means that brands can have strategies that work across various different types of countries and things like that. China was always seen as like an easy market because like, oh, it's so immature. You know, they're, they're they have a high, high desire for new brands and new names and things like that. That's not necessarily the case anymore. So now you have brands that are getting sort of a, a bigger dose of reality and they have to treat China the same way they have to treat others, which means you have to market properly and develop relationships. And, you know, there is going to be competition in the market and things like that. So that's actually ultimately a good thing. Um, but I guess also, you know, do you think that not just the Shanghai economy, but the Chinese economy is going to continue in a direction where there's high consumer confidence? Because ultimately, high consumer confidence and disposable income, of course, is what leads to sort of the most unrestricted watch buying behavior, right? I, I haven't seen a deterioration in that. I still think it's. I still think it's really strong. I think the okay. government will put in legislation to, to promote spending, um, and certainly I haven't seen that in the, you know, in my in my, in my community. I don't think it's really changed. Okay. Uh, how people have you know people aren't putting money under the bed or or like tightening up their wallets in my kind of um, community. Well, yeah, I mean, the government's done a lot to, to sort of create a sense of stability and a sense that, you know, uh, don't worry, economy, we got your, we, we have your back. So that's, that, that, you know, that's more than other countries can say, at least in regard to those things. Yeah, I was just having, I was talking to you before I, before I, we got on air, right? I, I don't think anything has really changed from where before COVID, when I'm in China, um, you know, how, what I do on a daily basis. I'm not talking about high-level watch collectors here. I'm talking my general, when I go outside and I see most of the public, even the uh, delivery people, it's, it's still the same in, in, in how I feel it is. The energy is still the same. Yeah. So let's go back to watches and wonders. Were there things that you think that without the pandemic could have been different or will be different? Let's say next year, it sounds like it'll be back. It sounds like it's a popular event. Um, how, will, how will it further grow without you know, maybe as many, um, you know, COVID-related concerns? Well, I didn't think that the experience was hindered by COVID. That's the thing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it was, I think, as it was supposed to be. Now, would you open it more to public? As in, you don't need to register. Or could you register at the venue? Yeah, maybe you could do that. But I'm telling you, there were enough people there. On the two days I was there, you wouldn't want any more people there. I just told you, you had queues. So you don't want to make those queues two-hour queues. And last year, the show had an attendance problem, right? So we're seeing a complete shift from being not as well populated as you would like to being perfectly populated, right? Well, again, this is where another inconsistency was, right? I felt that the people attending, it, you, there was a very big mix of different types of people attending. So you had... People, obviously, that work for the brand, they're there. You've got media people that are watch media people like yourself. But then you've got a huge bunch of KOLs, right? And KOL marketing is a really big thing in China. It's how a lot of people do their marketing. So You have to explain to people what that means. KOL, like a person that 
builds up their, well, I think the equivalent would be building up your Instagram account um, as somebody that is fashionable or a girl. In China, most of the time, it's a girl. Um, and, you know, they might not necessarily know much about watches, but they have a large audience that follows them online. Is that So is these that are clear? like like influencers, what we would call influencers? Yeah, influencers, but not not necessarily within the watch space. No, no, of course not. But these yeah. are people that have a network of people that follow them digitally. Yes, yes, that's right. So there's a lot of people like that who were there just to take their shot or to be seen at this event because it's a pre- like it's still a prestigious I am, event. Rolex yeah. name in the background. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. Exactly. You had a, a fair few of those people because there were seating areas, but those seating areas were they were always full of people just sitting down. Did they like, feed you? Uh, yeah, that was not a good part. Yeah, the food, yeah, it wasn't good. Uh-oh. Okay, I yeah. will not... Go- so, again, nothing positive about the hospitality dimension or was there something else that was good? No, I mean, I was just happy to... Uh, oh, I'll tell you what, I, I actually love the seminar room. The seminar room? Like where yeah, they so have, like, it's a place... That, no, it's where they actually did panel discussions. Okay. So you had panel discussions that were actually being live-streamed to a platform called Weibo, and you could sit there as an audience on certain topics that you could actually access uh, previously through your phone and see what was being spoken, what which topic was being spoken about, and then you could you could choose which which one you went to. And I thought that was, I, I you know I, I enjoyed that. I thought that would be something that they could develop even even more. I, I wanted to see more of that. In fact, yeah. Okay. Well, look, it sounds it's it sounds like Watches and Wonders Shanghai was something to be jealous of. 2021 seemed to be a surprisingly great year. Still the only major watch event that has happened. The next one that might happen will happen, if it does happen, in late August in Las Vegas, which is Couture, that I hope to go to because I can drive over there. So that'll be interesting. Um, now, let me. here's a f- sort of final question. Does Watches and Wonders in your hometown make you feel like you no longer need to travel for trade shows? Or are you even more excited now to travel since you sort of got the the trade show bug, you like the energy, and you're like, I want to go to more of these now? Uh, I think the first one. Okay, so you're like, watches come to me now, I'm good. Yeah, like, let's be honest, the food in Switzerland isn't that great, and Chinese love their food. It sounds like I'm joking, but they really do. Chefs or whatever. (laughs) It's really, really, really important you get the food right for Chinese. Yeah, like I mean, any stay for yeah. a few days, you got to get the food right. Yeah, it's a very big change of palate from China to Switzerland. Why would like, I fly all different. that that distance? Okay, the only way I'm doing it if I go with a bunch of friends, then I'd do it. Right? Otherwise, uh, just come to me. Thank you very much. Uh, why would I make it more difficult for myself? So I don't understand if you just don't want to go to Switzerland or you don't want to go anywhere <laughs> for trade shows. Which one is it? No, I just. I, I want to stay in Asia, right? Okay. And I think that's pretty selfish of me because uh, I think two things. One, you know, most of the watch buyers in the world are, are Chinese, right? So I think, you know, you should be doing it in Asia anyway. Number two, um, most of my friends that collect these things in Singapore, in Hong Kong, Macau, China, Japan, I'd love to see them there and they would fly over. To a, to a, to a, I think there's more chance of all these people in these, the regions I just said, going to one trade event or a trade event if you had in Asia than if you put it into Switzerland. I mean, right? I, mean I don't want to offend anyone, but I would also probably rather go to Asia for a trade show than Switzerland. I mean, you know, little things, hospitality, ease of parking, availability of services, um, you know, just Europe has never really been set up for a lot of trade shows. And there's a lot of, you know, inconveniences and and issues that come with the the capacities needed. Um, I get that they need to be in the backyard, but like, I would, I, I'd love, I'd love to go to the next one. I mean, that's, that's what I'm asking myself because I have the itch to go, even though there might be one nearby me in Vegas, I still want to travel. I still, you know, miss all that because it's a crazy social experience for me. Like you, you, you might like watches, um, just as much as I do, but I also get, you know, this sort of weird, I don't know, sociological interest out of seeing all these random people. Like it's just so much, so much diversity. It just it's 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 candy for the brain. Yeah, I think for you, you get that full culture shock, don't you? When you come over, there's a oh, lot yeah. of inf- new information coming into your brain that you're trying to process. Oh, we don't do it like that. You guys do it like that. What does that mean? All this kind of stuff. So you'll yeah. get all of that. 
But um, I do hope to, when, when everything settles, I do want to do a little tour and see all my watch buddies and go to maybe Hong Kong, Tokyo, maybe Singapore, but then go to Geneva with my friends and look at the manufacturers and then maybe, you know, stop off on the final leg in um, the US somewhere before flying back. Uh, I'm already, like, planning that. Okay, well, that'd be great. I'd love to be, uh, I'd love to be part, of, part of that trip. That sounds exciting. Yeah, um, yeah. Really okay, good. so this has been Daniel Soom of the Shanghai Watch Gang, and we're talking about Watches and Wonders Shanghai 2021. To see more of the watches, you can go on blog2watch.com. We covered uh, a lot of them. Um, Daniel, you want to just uh, tell people really quick uh, the rest of the places that they can find your content? Yeah, thank you very much, Ariel, first of all, for uh, having me on. Um, you can find me on uh, Shanghai Watch Gang or my personal account, Mr. Daniel Sum. Um, I also have my own podcast at thewaitinglistpodcast.com where you can find us on uh, Spotify and Apple and obviously Instagram as well. All right. Thank you so much, Daniel. And thank you everyone for listening to this superlative podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank Bye. you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at blog2watch.com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit blog2watch.com. Thank you for listening to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe?